I'd ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to read this evening from Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and we're reading from the beginning of the chapter. The previous chapter ends by speaking about the Lord Jesus come as a forerunner and become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, and our, our writer now comes to, to speak about this Melchizedek and uh, more than about Christ himself. Hebrews chapter 7 from verse 1. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, 
For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Amen. We pray that God will bless to us this uh, the reading from his holy word. There are a number of texts where we find these three very significant words. He is able. And this evening, as we prepare for communion next Lord's Day, we're going to, to look at one of those texts. We read it just a few moments ago in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. There are a number of things we could consider in this text, but we're going to confine ourselves this evening to thinking about what it says about those who will be saved. This text is about salvation. And salvation is at the very heart of Christianity. And those who come to observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper come professing to be saved people, a people redeemed by the Lord. And our text this evening tells us something about the people the Lord is able to save. And I want you to note, first of all, that our text does not say that Jesus Christ is able to save everyone. In fact, our text says that there's only one group of people that Jesus Christ is able to save. There is this limitation as to whom he can save. But only this one limitation. So who are the people who are to be saved? Our text defines them as those who draw near to God through him. Those who draw near to God through him. There is no limitation here of sect or denomination. 
does not matter whether you're a Protestant or Catholic, whether you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian, an Anglican or a Methodist, whether you bear one of those labels or not, is irrelevant as far as our text is concerned. Our text neither rules out these denominations, nor does it rule them in. Nor is there any limitation of worldly status, rich or poor, royalty or commoner, employed or unemployed. None of these is mentioned. Your standing in these areas is irrelevant as regards Christ's ability to save you. Likewise, race and nationality or political allegiance makes no difference. The one thing that those whom Christ is able to save have in common is this. They are those who draw near to God or who come to God through him. All else is totally irrelevant. It does not matter who you are, what you have done or not done. It does not matter if you are rich or poor, good living or bad living. All that matters is that you draw near to God through him. Then he is able to save you. So let's think about what is involved in this drawing near to God, this coming to God through Jesus Christ. Four things to notice about this coming of those whom Christ is able to save. First of all, it is drawing near to God. Drawing near to God. We need to think for a moment about what it means to come to God. And it will be helpful to consider a couple of things that that doesn't mean. And so our, our writer here is not referring to mere formality of devotion. It does not mean the mere formality of devotion. So coming to church is not the same as coming to God. Having a quiet time is not necessarily the same as coming to God. Saying your prayers isn't necessarily coming to God. It's possible to do all those things in a purely formal and routine way so that we draw near to God with our lips but our hearts are far from him. There's a splendid general confession in the Church of England prayer book and I'm sure that all of us have joined in words to the same effect. Here's how it reads. We have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have done those things which we ought not to have done. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And there is no health in us. What a good sound confession that is. Yet I wonder how often have we mocked God by repeating expressions like that, thinking we've done our duty, without really meaning it. How often have we come to church 
but left our minds elsewhere. It's one thing to go to church. It's quite another thing to go to God, to draw near to him. So let us not be content with mere formality. And secondly, I would say that coming to God is not now and then sincerely performing an act of devotion while giving the world the greater part of your life. There are people who seem to think that if sometimes they are sincere, if now and then they put up an earnest cry to heaven, then God will accept them. And though their life may still be worldly and their desires still carnal, they suppose that for the sake of this occasional devotion to God, he will be pleased with them and in his mercy blot out their sins. But friends, there is no such thing as bringing half of yourself to God and leaving the other half away. If you're here tonight, then you haven't just sent your head and shoulders while the rest of you is somewhere else. No, you're, you're, you're here. And so if a man comes to God, he cannot just sort of bring half of himself. God must have the whole, our whole being must be surrendered to the service of our maker. We must come to him with an entire dedication of ourselves, giving up all we are, all we ever shall be, to be thoroughly devoted to his service. Otherwise, we have never come to God aright. And there is a tendency in us all to try to love Christ, but also to love the world and the things of the world. We want to hold with the hare and run with the hounds, but it cannot be done. It is of no earthly use to pretend to be on two sides of the question. If God be, be God, serve him. If Beal be God, serve him. God will have the whole of you to come or else you shall not come at all. The whole man must seek after the Lord. The whole soul must be poured out before him. Otherwise, it is no acceptable coming to God. So, coming to God is not merely uh, formal devotion or outward coming. It's not coming now and then, but a wholehearted devotion. What is coming to God then? Well, I would say coming to God implies leaving something else. If a man comes to God, he must leave his sins. And yes, he must leave his righteousness. He must leave off thinking that he can be good enough. He must leave both his bad works and his good ones and come to God, leaving them entirely. Again, coming to God implies that there is no aversion towards him. For a man will not come to God while he hates God. Such a man would keep away. 
And so coming to God signifies having some love to God. It signifies desiring God, desiring to be near to him. And of course, coming to God above all signifies praying to God and putting faith in him. This is coming to God. And it is only those who come to God that Christ is able to save. This is where they come. They come to God. But notice next that it is drawing near to God through Christ. Our text says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. The Father will never save a man apart from Christ. There is not one soul now in heaven who was not saved by Jesus Christ. There is not one who ever came to God aright who did not come through Jesus Christ. If you would come, if you would be at peace with God, you must come to him through Christ. You come to him through Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. You come making mention of his righteousness and of his only. That his righteousness is your covering. Many would have you believe that while there is one God, there are many different routes to him. They would say God is like a cairn at the top of the mountain. There's just one cairn at the summit, but there are many different ways that you can get there. And so all the different religions are like so many different routes up the mountain, but they all arrive at the same point at the summit. They all arrive at God. But friends, the scriptures make it clear that is not the case. There is only one way to God. And Jesus Christ is that way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is able to save those who come to God through him. So it's drawing near to God. It's drawing near to God through Christ. And thirdly, I would say, our text refers to drawing near to God for salvation. There are some who think they come to God who do not come for the right thing. The young student who cries to God for help in his studies. The businessman who comes to God that he may be guided through a dilemma in his business affairs. In all kinds of difficulties, People will turn to God seeking deliverance and help in that particular circumstance. But that's not what is envisaged in our text. And if that is the only way in which we have come to God, we have not truly come to him at all. But the poor sinner in coming to Christ has only one object if all the world were offered to him, he would not think it worth his acceptance if he could not have Jesus Christ. The one who truly comes to God knows that his great need is salvation, to be forgiven his sin. The only one who truly comes to God knows that. 
And that's what he comes for. He says, wealth and honor I disdain. Earthly comforts, Lord, are vain. These will never satisfy. Give me Christ or else I die. wonder is that you this evening? Yes, you, you may enjoy good things. The Lord blesses his people often with comforts and many material blessings in this world. What do you say, beloved? Give them all up. If only I can still have Christ. Because that's what's most important. The one coming to Christ, mercy is his sole request. If you have ever come to God crying out for salvation, and for salvation only, then you have come to God aright. And it is useless to offer those who seek salvation anything else. They will not be satisfied with anything else. And in the church we must make it our business to proclaim salvation. Many may come looking to be entertained. And we have to say that we cannot do much for them on that score. And we've got to be prepared for them to go somewhere else where their craving might be satisfied. But if they desire to come unto God for salvation, then here they will be satisfied. For here Christ and the salvation that he offers will be proclaimed. We must preach to the sinner who comes to Christ. We must offer the gift, show him the way, show him Christ. So that he might have the gift that he longs for. The gift of salvation by Jesus Christ our Lord. That gift that is received by faith. And so it is drawing near to God for salvation that we're thinking about. And one more thought about this drawing near to God through Christ. It is drawing near to God in repentance. What kind of spirit do those who come to God through Christ exhibit? Perhaps I can best illustrate by reference to our Lord's parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. In what style did the Pharisee go up to the temple? Well, he went in self-confidence, thinking that he had little need. He was good enough, respectable enough, But just to complete the picture of respectability, he would do the right thing and go to the temple. And so he's saying, I'm a very respectable gentleman. I have enough of my own good works and my own merits. But it's still fashionable to be religious. And so I will approach the gate. I will draw near. And to such a one, the gate of mercy will not be opened. For Christ came to save sinners, not the righteous. And if you're good enough in yourself, if that's what you're thinking, well, as long as you think that way, there's no salvation for you. You you can't be saved if you think that you're okay. But then we look at the tax collector. 
Now he hardly draws, dares to, to come. He's so aware of his own sin and failure. He has nothing to offer. And he must have Christ if he is to be anything. And friends, that is how we're to come. Conscious of our sin and our guilt. Pleading for mercy from our Savior. Here's how Spurgeon described the man who comes to the Lord in the right way. He says, there he comes, sighing and groaning, crying and weeping all the way. He has a rope in his neck, for he thinks he deserves to be condemned. He has rags on him. He comes to the heavenly throne. And when he approaches mercy's gate, he is almost afraid to knock. He lifts up his eyes and he sees it written, Knock and it shall be opened to you. But he fears lest he should profane the gate by his poor touch. He gives at first a gentle rap. And if mercy's gate open not, he is a poor dying creature. So he gives another rap and another and another. And although he raps time without number and no answer comes, still he is a sinful man and he knows himself to be unworthy. So he keeps rapping still. And at last the good angel smiling from the gate says, Ah, this gate was built for beggars, not for princes. Heaven's gate was made for spiritual paupers, not for rich men. Christ died for sinners, not for those who are good and excellent. He came into the world to see of the vile. Not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. Come in, poor man, come in, thrice welcome. How many of you, dear friends, have come to God by Jesus Christ in that way? Not with the pompous pride of the Pharisee, not with the self-confidence of the good man who thinks he deserves salvation, but with the sincere cry of a penitent, with the earnest desire of the thirsty soul after living water. Can you relate to the, the psalmist in Psalm 42? As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Or have you cried out from the depths like the psalmist in Psalm 130? Out of the depths I cried to you, Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. As you prepare for coming to the Lord's table next weekend, you need to ask yourselves if you indeed have come to God in this way. Have you come to God, not just to church or to religion or to some outward ceremony, but to the living God, 
Have you come to him through Christ, depending on him alone for your acceptance with God? Have you come to him for salvation, not seeking first that he would meet your physical needs, but that he would first of all meet your great spiritual need, that he would wash you clean of your sin and give you a title to heaven? And as you have come to God through Christ seeking salvation, have you come in a spirit of repentance, with grief and hatred of your sin, turning from it and turning to God, trusting in God alone to save you? If you've not come to God in this fashion, then you've not come at all. But if you have thus come to God, Here is the glorious word for you. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen.